Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. This past spring, I was questioning my choice of moving to a city, a city that I had never stepped foot in before the day I moved there and a city I chose to live alone in and have my studio and my spare bedroom. And although the solitude was a welcome change from the hyper-social environments I had recently experienced through living at craft schools, my lack of community became very apparent a few months into my new life in Philadelphia. Right before I left for Maine, a really great opportunity came my way. Remember Emily Cobb? You know, episode one, the jeweler who was doing the adjunct hustle, but had recently been hired for a full-time position in California. Go, Emily. Well, Emily had co-founded something called the JV Collective. It's a collaborative contemporary jewelry studio based in South Philadelphia, also known as the neighborhood I really wanted to live in. And I've been well aware of the JV crew since moving to Philly. It's comprised of five women jewelers. Five women that I respect greatly in my field, and quite frankly, have looked up to as I figured out my place in the contemporary jewelry community. So as Emily transitions to California and as the West Coast satellite member of the JV Collective, I have been asked to be the newest member. <sighs> so this will be my first official studio space. It's not in my bedroom, it's not shared at a craft school, and it's not on loan while at a residency. It's taken seven years to get here, and I already feel that comfort, you know, you have when you're part of something, part of a team. And at the very least, I feel very cool when I check my phone recently and always have, I don't know, somewhere between 11 and 36 missed text messages, thanks to the JV Collective texting thread. I'm sure many of you as studio artists, or just humans in general, can relate to the need for community. Today's guest is here to discuss just that. She's a graduate of Maine College of Art. She's a contemporary jeweler. She is a very proud cat mom and the co-owner of a beautiful home that she's dubbed the Antique Barbie Dream House, which in case you're wondering is exactly what it looks like. So please welcome the secretary of the Portland, Maine Metals Collective, Shelby Goldsmith. Holy, that took so much effort to even make that little quarter that beautiful. You, okay, listeners, mm, you might hear cats and Shelby is just my friend. Don't judge me, but I am not a cat person. I was raised by my grandparents. They're like, we don't have time for pets. We're in our 70s. So I'm not very good with pets. And Shelby is my cat friend. Like, you're the epitome of the crazy cat lady 
but you're only like what 20 26 yeah it's amazing um so you might hear the cats and which i think is very fitting for you (laughs) (laughs) there's only two there's only two which is kind of funny because i thought you had more but i think everyone does yeah you show that's a lot of self-restraint for you i'm sure it is yeah did you just hear that? I think that was the cat again. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay. Well, so we're in Saco, Maine. Saco, Maine. Which is basically right outside of Portland. Yes. So we can round it up to Portland basically. if we want to. Basically. Greater Portland. Okay. And you own your house. I do. Congratulations. Thank you. It's beautiful. Um, how long have you owned a house? Oh, let's see. Um, almost two years. Just we're hitting over a year and a half now. That's terrifying. Yeah. I'm so scared to buy a house. Really? I'm scared to even sign a lease. Who am I kidding? <sighs> I I feel like I just look back and I, I'm like, oh, I don't even know what happened. I just suddenly have a house. Like, I don't remember any of it. Yeah. But, I mean, you have a mortgage that so you yes, pay, like, monthly definitely. and whatnot. Um, and you had told me you your your father passed away, which yes. I'm really sorry. Um, my father passed away, too. So I think we yes. saw this fun. <laughs> this is how this podcast exists. Um so when that happens, I mean, you got some money from an unfortunate circumstance, but I did. Yeah. But you're really smart to put it into a house. I felt strongly about that. I mean, going into like my studio life, um, I felt strongly that like the best thing I could do for myself as like a person in this world is to have a home base. And like, that was the way for me to like start my studio practice after college and to have a stable life and job and like basically, you know, transition out of college. Yeah. So I'm here with Shelby Goldsmith, which for the longest time, I thought your last name was just your social media. (laughs) I was like, how is a jeweler's last name actually Goldsmith? Um, And that was a funny conversation when you're like, no, really, that's my last name. I was like, oh, (laughs) damn, that's good. Yeah. Um, We're we're becoming old friends at this point. It's true. We met five years ago when we were little jewelry babies (laughs) at the Penland School of Crafts. We did. Um, that was my second time going to Penland. That was, was my first. That was your first time? That was Aww. my first. It was like falling in love. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, and we were session three at Penland. They have seven summer sessions mm-hmm. and they're two weeks long each. And that is my favorite session because it's always over my birthday and it's always oh. over the 4th of July. The 4th of July is a blast there. Yeah. Cause it's craft school. So yeah. just imagine you know, 150 adults who are all creatives and putting together a 4th of July parade. So crazy. Um, Yeah. And there's always these like amazing fireworks and a lot of people come from Asheville to watch them. And it's just a magical experience. It certainly is. Um, I feel like we spent so much time together during that trip too i mean Mm -hmm. we went swimming things like that we got pretty close over that time yeah well and i went on to live there which was kind of surreal in that regard too and it's funny being it's like groundhog day right so every two (laughs) weeks the same thing happens and there's this timeline it's like everybody shows up vulnerable kind of scared shy first day of school um and within two or three days, you've kind of found your tribe, yeah. right? You find your people and you kind of cling to them. And so by Wednesday, your best friends. By Thursday, you've got your crushes. <laughs> you, you, like you have your eye on the cute boy, et cetera. Um, Saturday night, the first Saturday is always a big party. And yes. that's where like things kind of come to a head, you know? <laughs> like, are you going to kiss your crush? Are you guys going to like fall in love or your best friends? You get ready. 
Um, and then Sunday brunch is really funny because you can always see who comes to brunch together. And that's kind of telling <laughs> <That> if, <is. laughs> if anybody kind of solidified their crushes, so oh to speak. Um, and then the next week, by like Tuesday of the second week, you are going to be lifelong friends if yes. you click. And yes. by Wednesday or Thursday, it's heartbreak because you only have a few days left. And then Friday, you're saying goodbye. And Saturday, you're crying. <laughs> um, and then it all starts over on Sunday morning again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So so you're one of those people that has always remained a friend, which is pretty cool. I think so. Yeah. I was super nervous. I was assisting uh, my professor, Jeffrey Clancy, in a pewter class. And I'd never been to Penland. Um, I had also never worked in pewter. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned. Yeah. You can learn that. I mean, Peter's so easy to work with. Yeah. I ended up taking a class in it the following year, and I was really surprised. Yeah. There is, there's some funny sounds happening <laughs> with the animals, but I'm just going to lean into that and be like, go get it, kitty. Um, so we're here to talk about your life in Portland, Maine, mm -hmm. because you graduated from where? Maine College of Art in 2014. Okay. And what was your degree in? Uh, metalsmithing and jewelry. I got my BFA there. And I will probably abbreviate to Mecca as the abbreviation. Yeah. Everybody calls it Mecca? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, and so you graduated. And tell me what happened after you graduated. Well, first of all, real quick, I always like to give a little background. Yeah. Um, the focus on this conversation is not necessarily specifically you but not to sound weird um but did you how'd you pay for college so um i did have a little bit of help from my dad like i mentioned um mm -hmm. we like you mentioned he passed away um i got some money which helped me pay for my final semester out of college so he died um in my senior year of college i took a year off and then i came back to finish it so i paid for that out of pocket um with some help from the money I was left. Um, I got half of my entire tuition paid through the college from a scholarship. I think it was called the Annual Vision Fund, mm -hmm. which was cool. So that helped me a lot. And that was how I was able to afford going in the first place. And how did that do, what did that do to you having your father die your senior year? Um, it was super difficult. I mean, that goes without saying. Um, it it was really important to him that I finish college. So mm -hmm. when I, you know, we were assessing the seriousness of his illness and I made the decision to leave school, he was very, you know, serious about me going back. Yeah. So I did not waste time after he passed away. I did move back to Maine um, and I immediately re-enrolled okay. in college to finish my final year. Because I... In the last couple of years, I've had my parents pass away, and it knocks you out. Yeah, it does. And it really, I mean, oh, gosh, I could have numerous episodes on this podcast <laughs> about this, but grief affects people in the strangest ways. It does. And I know it manifests for me. I was at a residency, and my father passed, and it manifests in anger. And you would, I, there's a resident, a fellow resident of mine, I think that I kind of targeted unfairly, and I think about that, but it, at the time, it's like you're in it. Like you can't yeah. tell why you're being this person. Totally. Um, did that affect you even wanting to go back to school? Um, not really. I mean, I was definitely, I needed to finish. I was in my senior year. I had already finished the f first semester, I think. I think I was 
Yeah, I, I redid, I think, just my final semester. So it was really like so close to finishing. Oh, wow. Okay. But um, I was a different person when I came back. Um, between that time, I had applied to take a class at Penland with Melanie Billinker. And um, I was like trying to stay in it, you know, so to speak. And I just really wanted to get back and finish it. And I was very serious. So when I came back to school, I was like business, just good to all go. business. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I remember seeing, yeah, that's, we reconnected there. I was living yeah. at Penland. So had your father passed already at that time? Yes. And when you were in Melanie's class? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I, it's so funny because like we were talking about our first time, my first time at Penland when we had met and I mm-hmm. was like really social. And then when I went for Melanie's class, I was just like in the studio as long as they would let me stay. Yeah. I was so serious my final like semester of college. I guess, yeah, I do remember, recall that we didn't actually hang out that much. No. But I was, my head was so far underwater yeah, anyways. I, I was so busy that <laughs> you couldn't really tell. Um, okay. So, so you graduated. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. After that, <laughs> I, I, I applaud you. Um, what did you do post-graduation? So post-graduation, um, like we said, I did buy a house, um, I also, in I think 2015, attended my first Metals Collective meeting, mm-hmm. um, which is what we're going to talk about, obviously. Yeah. So this whole day, <laughs> or this whole conversation, the point is to talk about the Metals Collective, which I am envious of. I think it's such a cool thing. I can't wait to talk about it. Tell me what the Metals Collective is. So we are a group of metalsmiths, jewelers, makers, blacksmiths, all of that, who um, essentially are trying to create opportunities for ourselves. Um, We're trying to connect with other people in our community and promote craft of what we do in Maine. So we're all Maine makers, um, Mm -hmm. most of us living in or around Portland. Um, we essentially create exhibitions around town. We, um, we want to share our work with the public and we want to educate people about what we do that aren't normally exposed to the kind of work that we make. And I think the other thing for me that I was really taken by it was, um, you created a community Yes, because there is that period of time. And I talked about this a few episodes back where when you graduate or you finish a program, um, and you don't have that like built-in community anymore, it can be really easy to kind of just not move forward or push yourself as hard. So I feel like this is really exciting to hear about you guys just manifesting your own kind of community and way to push yourselves. Totally. I mean, when I got out of college, like I needed to have a day job. I needed to figure out how I was going to practice my craft from there on. Um, And I think that speaks to how this group started, which was in 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, Maria Wolf, um, Holly Gooch, and Chris Keen all graduated from Mecca, and they wanted to find a way to essentially hold each other accountable for making work. And not only making work, but making the type of work that you do in college. Like when you're in your college, your undergrad, you are you have mentors you have other students you have feedback you have facilities you have all of that you have assignments yeah (laughs) and you have deadlines like all of that and when you get out of that environment where you no longer have any of those things like how do you hold yourself accountable like do you just start working a nine to five job monday through friday and you just like stray away from what you went to school for or do you you know you have to find ways to keep yourself active so this is how that started um 
in Portland, um, they originally called themselves Metalheads Redux, <laughs> which is cool. So there was yeah. this group before them called the Metalhead Society, which I believe was active in the 90s. Um, and it was a similar group. Mm-hmm. I know that they used to put out like a newsletter and things like that. Um, they eventually, I think, disbanded probably because I think a lot of people get really, you know, they started experiencing success in their own personal way and yeah. kind of moving away from that. They moved that. away from needing the group. Yeah. So yeah. this group started in 2010 as the Metalheads Redux and did their first show, which was Absinthe Spoons oh. at this place called the Bar of Chocolate, which is, um, they were the first, I believe in Maine when Absinthe was like legalized, they were the first to serve it there. Okay. So they oh, did a cool show. that's cool that they tied that in. Yeah. Nice. Um, so basically, um, now the way that the group is, we do shows similar to that. We usually do themes. We try to do our shows in, um, bars and other venues that where people are going to encounter our work that don't normally get exposed to this. And especially those who don't tend to walk into like a gallery or be up to date on what's happening in a gallery setting. Yeah. We do gallery shows as well, but, um, I think one of our big, points is accessibility and just having people see our work that don't normally see this and that is something that I kind of I have a hard time like the contemporary jewelry community or the art jewelry community is is so small Mm -hmm. compared to a lot of other communities like I went to Rhinebeck to the sheep and wool festival and my jaw was on the ground by like knitters are nuts there are (laughs) there is this whole market tap into it like I don't know make jewelry for knitters specifically because you're going to make a million dollars like they it was there was so many people there and the um energy was so great and it really made me think about you know am I just making art jewelry for other art jewelers to look at it totally. and a handful of collectors yeah like how do you branch out and even with my own family have you had this where I'm like oh my god this thing happened and it's a really big deal and they're like that's great we're so happy for you <laughs> and you can just see their eyes kind of glass over because they're like what the hell is Metal Smith Magazine exactly. like that cares so I really love that you guys are putting your work out there in places because I came here and visited you before and you took me to um, a bar and yes. and I love that we went up to their loft space and you guys had an exhibition there yeah. and it wasn't gallery walls and it wasn't super bright. It was nighttime. It was at a bar, but the work was lit and it was really cool to see it in that setting. Yeah. Um, coincidentally, that bar is called the Bearded Ladies Jewel Box. And Ugh. yeah, we have, we have very fortunate to have established a relationship with the owner and we do a yearly show there actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's got this great little loft, like mezzanine space where mm-hmm. we install um, three of our jewelry cases. Yeah, it was beautiful. And I mean, yeah, and it did. Actually, I did really pick up on that. The bar itself is gorgeous. Yeah. And they have all these antiques that they've found and everything's ornate and it's candlelit. And then your work and the pieces in there just really um, added to the atmosphere. Absolutely. And um, because of that, have you had people reach out to you? Like, have you seen direct... Um, like results from putting it in these places? We have. Not only have we sold pieces um, from that show or shows we've done there in the past, um, but it's been really rewarding. We also have held meetings in that space. And I think one of the things that really resonated with me was that we had a man come up to the mezzanine, you know, just to like take a look and was like, oh, this is this is you guys. You do these shows. And he's just a guy who saw, you know, one of our flyers or frequents the jewel box and 
had seen our work in there and we were like asking him questions. We're like polling him like, so how did you find out about us? Like, what did you think? And it was so cool to engage someone in a conversation about the work that they were seeing Mm -hmm. that wasn't another art jeweler with the same like vocabulary and knowledge of the history and contemporary field. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I mean, we're not doing this just for each other. Totally. I like that a lot. So, okay, let's rewind here. So the Metals Collective. Yes. When did you change names to Metals Collective? Let's see. That has to have predated my involvement. But I think the first show that, like I mentioned, we did the Absinthe Spoon show. um, That was in 2010. And then the second, we did a second Absinthe Spoon show at the same place. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the Absinthe Spoons were selling, which was super cool. So I think the group decided to do like a second wave of it mm-hmm. um and that was done as the metals collective okay i so, like that name yeah, it's me good. too not that metalheads redo or redux is not great <laughs> it's but cool yeah. yeah the metals collective is like nice and simple yeah um how many members do you have it's hard to say so we basically activate um for the most part we can we, we have um a private forum on facebook mm-hmm. so in that group are probably like under 50 member, I would say like around 30 people um, okay. are a part of that Facebook group, but participating active members, I would say on average with each show we do, it's between, uh, like I would say an average of 10 to 12 people. Which is still really impressive to it be is. just kind of a, I don't want to say, I don't want this to seem like I'm putting it down, but like a casual kind of organization. Like it you're not, is. Yeah. So we're very unofficial. I mean, yeah. Yeah. To have that many people making work specifically for it and organizing. Like, yeah. I think that's fantastic. Totally. Um, to be a member, how do you, what do you have to do to be a member? Just join the Facebook group or? Basically, um, if people express interest to us, um, we don't really have a really hardcore sort of specification of like what you need. Um, we do require that you are passionate about what you're doing and about this craft. And we require that you attend at least two meetings before starting to participate in the shows. Mm-hmm. And we also, um, I think we have like a specification, like you have to have some type of formal or informal training in metalsmithing. Okay. Um, but it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have gone to school for that. You don't have, you know, you could be self-taught, you could have had an apprenticeship and that's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought there was some connection, like direct correlation between graduates of Mecca and the Metals Collective, but it's not. Yeah, not at all. Um, a lot of, like I said, the founding members all were graduates of Maine College of Art and that's yeah. kind of... That was their way of making work post-college. And a lot of us have been from Maine College of Art and also have like worked for them, et cetera. I teach continuing studies there. Um, one of our members is a former tech. One is the current tech. So we definitely have a lot of affiliation, but not not directly. Yeah. Yeah. So when I looked at your website, and you have a lovely website, by the way, which is great. I mean, you know, today's, and the way things work these days, if you don't have a website, like, are you official? I don't know. Um, But you did have a section for members, and each of you had like a really nice headshot. So are those kind of like the core members of the collective, you would say, that are highly involved because you have an official title as well yeah what are you so we we have like a core group of us we call it you know just our core members that are so i'm a secretary Mm -hmm. um essentially the core group is um we created that a couple of years ago i would say in 2015 when i joined 
was when we started realizing like, okay, we have organizational issues. Like how do we, how do we put on these shows and make sure that somebody is accountable for meeting the deadlines, reminding people, installing the work, um, putting up show text, things like that. So people needed to be responsible for that. So our, our president, Maria Wolf put out a call for anyone interested to, um, meet with her and discuss a role. And so I met with her and essentially we kind of formed with, I think there's about six of us in the core group who mm-hmm. um, just essentially make sure that everything is going to get done for each of these shows. Um, yeah. Okay. And it's a passion project. Like no one's getting paid here. It is. Absolutely. No one's getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> but do you pay in? Like, is there membership fees? Like, how do you, I mean, thing everything costs money. Yeah, even it definitely to does. Have a, um, a website yeah even to you know you said you guys have your you installed your cases yes. so who builds the cases who Good pays question. for these things so um, for the website specifically I basically was like willing to feature I made the website myself oh nice um, job thank you it looks good <laughs> you done good I asked for a small fee just like $15 per person and I was like if we get you know x amount of us on here we can feature ourselves as like some of our members and put a link to our website or our Instagram. Mm-hmm. So that was a way, that was a little bit of an incentive to like help me pay for the website. Yeah. Um, it is a passion project and a lot of us um, have eaten some of the cost and like put money into this that we know that we're not going to get back or yeah. that we're waiting on getting back. Um, as for the cases, we had a local woodworker build three cases for us that are self-lit and all locked, mm-hmm. which is a big thing for us. I they're mean, beautiful. Yeah. They're Thank you. They're they're beautiful. They're glass front. Um, they're super versatile and we can install them anywhere. Um, we can open and close the fronts lock it, keep it secure. If we're going to install our work, you know, in a bar for a month, like we want to have that peace of mind. Um, so originally what we did, um, is ask, like, if you want to participate in the show for the first time that you ever participate, we ask for a hundred dollars. You're paying into the cases, helping pay them off. Um, after that, you are asked for a $25 participation fee. And that essentially just pays for promotional materials. I mean, wall text. Um, we had a show recently where we did need to get vinyl. It was in like a gallery setting and that was important. But normally, I mean, we have like less official wall text for labels, for the mm-hmm. show text. So people can come in and know kind of what we're about and what we're doing with the show. Um so yeah, the hundred dollar fee is essentially a pay-in, hoping that people want to um, keep coming back. Yeah, too, exactly. Right? Participate recurrently. You can't just dabble. Like if you're right. going to be a part of this, you need to invest into yeah. it. Yeah, and we want that. We don't want someone just you know like oh yeah maybe I'll just like it's it's very like easy to just like send your piece in or something like to a show. Yeah. It's like a small application fee, but we don't actually curate our shows. It's a little bit like first come first serve for those who are interested in participating. Oh, that's interesting. It's very incentive-based. So yeah. if you are all about it and you want to have your work in a show, um, it's all on you. Like if you want to, we just ask for, you know, an unofficial proposal that's just like, it shows us basically like, hey, so we put out a call for the show. You're interested. You know what you want to make. Um, it's You know that there's a deadline. You have plans and you're working on it. That just shows that. And then we have your fee, which is due. Mm-hmm. whether it's $100 or just $25. And then um, after that, I mean, it's just meeting the deadlines. I don't think we've ever had a problem with um, more participation than was able to be accommodated for. So Okay. 
Maybe you will in the future. I know. (laughs) Um, So you have a treasurer, I'm assuming? We do. So you have a president. We do. And is Maria Wolf the president? Maria Wolf is the president. Um, Our treasurer is Emily Percival. Okay. Um, We have a PR person, Kat Bates. Ooh. And I know Kat. Yeah. Hi, Kat. (laughs) And we also have um, two who do the installation. It is Naomi McNeil and her husband, Gabriel McNeil. Oh, husband-wife duo. That's cool. And they have an awesome baby named Natalie who is at every meeting she's at every meeting she's an unofficial member yeah (laughs) she's just too young to use a torch so yeah (laughs) give it time yeah um how do you get those positions did the medals collective come together and vote not at all actually um so maria put out the call and because we needed to have more organization that was that was an issue um we were the people who came forward initially and showed interest so i mean that was just how it formed naturally kind of, I mean, we were the people who were willing to be accountable and put the time in, um, and also just be there for every meeting organizationally, um, you know, make it happen. Yeah, exactly. How often do you guys meet? Um, that's a great question. It depends. I mean, since I joined in 2015, um, we have had exponentially more shows every year, which is That's huge. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, looking at our exhibition history with just like one show, you know, in 2010, and then it just grows every year. So um, we And you had more. that on your website. I yes. liked that. And yeah. I mean, that kind of speaks to your professionalism. Right. As a complete outsider coming upon your website. Not that you asked for my feedback, but I'm giving it to you. (laughs) I'm happy for it. That's how I thought. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We wanted to have that on the table, especially, I mean, I have to say, full disclaimer that our website is not completed. So the other person who does help a lot recently with our core group is Mary Forst, who has been photographing and editing every single piece that we've ever done in a show, which is is... grueling. (laughs) It's a lot. So she's like the all-star of the group right now. Basically. the worst. (laughs) So she's been helping us document and archive all of the pieces we've done, and we've been slowly able to add them to each show on our website. So not yet complete, but underway. But that's a huge undertaking. It is. I mean, I don't know any other organization. I mean, I'm sure there's so many that do, but I, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, I'm impressed by that. Thank you. Not that I can, matter. <laughs> I, I keep saying like, yeah, I'm very impressed by you, but like, no, whatever. your, your opinion is valued. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, okay. So there's, we know, we understand the fees. Do you guys, where do you meet when you have your meetings? Well, we meet usually at local bars or someone's house. Um, we try to find somewhere quiet where we can talk, um, it is a challenge sometimes, but we essentially meet wherever we can. Um, you know, yeah. we have meetings more or less depending on how we need, like how much we need. Um, if we have an upcoming show, we might be meeting once every couple weeks to check in and touch base. Yeah. Sometimes we have just like core member meetings because sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in the planning stages of a show that's presented itself, whether um, a venue has offered itself up to us or whether a theme has become apparent. Um, we have to meet and discuss just so we can set deadlines and be like, what do we have to get done and when? And what's the best way for this to happen? So we have to just set those deadlines and then present it to the rest of the group and just be like, okay, so if you want to participate in this show, here's the here's when we're going to meet to discuss the title and the content. And like, this is the deadline for your work to be due. Like, who's in? And so far, this is great. And it seems like it's pretty smooth sailing, but I mean, come on, you're an organization. <laughs> Everybody has opinions, especially when it comes to artwork and et cetera. So 
what has been difficulties within it? Is it hard oh, to like yeah. decide on, I mean, titles for shows, shoot. I, I've done a couple group shows and it's just so grueling to yeah. decide on a title that could speak to everybody. Communication has been a big challenge. Um, just, you know, we communicate on our Facebook group and through emails and just making sure we're reaching everyone and that people have the opportunity to express their voice when it comes to something. Yeah. Um, opportunities present themselves out of nowhere to us sometimes. So things move fast. And if you blink, you might miss it. So mm. Um, communication's been an issue. Other than that, it's just little logistical things. Um, but I think with the formation of the core group, it's been significantly smoother. It's, it seems like it was a really smart move on your part. Yes. To kind of solidify it as like a legit organization. Absolutely. Uh, how legit are you? Because you guys do deal with money. We do. So do you have a bank account for the collective? I, I have to say, I'm not 100% on how this works, but our treasurer, Emily, is a boss and set us up with a PayPal. Recently, nice. we had a show where we maintained regular gallery hours Um I think four days a week for two months. Oh my gosh. And that was a big deal. So we had to be able to accept credit cards. We set up a PayPal account. Um, I forget exactly how the money is getting funneled, whether it's through someone's personal bank account where they're um, sorting that. But I mean, obviously people have to figure out how we're going to pay sales tax and we have to divvy up who made what money, like who made the sales, like who's... Yeah. Who's being paid for what? And like they have to pay their own sales tax, et cetera. And that's all on the treasurer, right? Like yes. she's organizing it. So that's a pretty big job. It is. That's huge. Yeah. That How? kind of stuff goes way over my head. <laughs> so you're like, I got the website. Yes. You handle the dollars. <laughs> um, how long has she been a treasurer for you guys? Um, since the formation of the core group. Um, I think okay. that happened all in like 2016. We started getting a lot more opportunities and we just moved fast on it. And she presented herself. She's really good at Google Docs and oh, like yeah. spreadsheets and I feel like that is a must oh, I love a good spreadsheet <laughs> I don't know how to do them but I know that they're awesome no they are awesome um okay because that makes sense to me then like you guys get paid for your work oh well do you put a commission towards is there like a fund that you have I mean you said that if you do an exhibition you pay into it but say for instance you're selling all this work does each person give like a small percentage back into the metals collective we don't um we've been really fortunate um the community here in portland maine super values you know local artists and supporting local economy so um i will say some of the bars that we've had shows at gave us a hundred percent of anything we sold we were the ones handling any and all transactions yeah um so they weren't handling that for us but we got a hundred percent of anything that we sold um additionally some venues have required just a small fee if they were handling transactions for us yeah um whether it was like 10 or 20 percent it's been very low and they've been very generous i didn't even think about that aspect yeah so that's just a small bit the metals collective does not ask for any um sort of percentage of that at all we all pay to put these shows on so we get a hundred percent of what we make from it um but for instance like we are planning our next show and um, we are talking about doing a show of like charms. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a Valentine's Day show. And we Ooh. thought about the idea of to, to raise some funds and help make sure we pay off our, all of our expenses with the cases and things like that, um, that each maker could donate one charm if they were willing and assemble them into a bracelet or a necklace. And that could be sold to benefit the collective. Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, we keep 
mentioning to pay off this debt. So you guys don't own those cases. Did you find somebody that was willing to like we give do, you a layaway? We do own them. And um, we did work out a payment plan. Um, Maria Wolf had a studio space in a building with this woodworker who made the cases. Okay. So he was very generous and patient and we did pay for those. But like I said, some of us have not been fully paid back for our you know, investment into the collective. So the cases would definitely fall under that category. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's always how who you know, though. It's like, that's, true. That's the best part. I mean, I always joke. It's like, I really want to fall in love with a carpenter. Oh, my goodness. So he can build me a house. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. Look at your house. Um, highly recommend it. <laughs> highly re- Yeah, like, hey, <laughs> carpenters of the world. Um, okay, well, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so you have your next ex- exhibition coming up. Yeah. Because you have to plan pretty far ahead of time. Definitely. Because... What do you do? How does that work? You have a meeting, you talk about somebody proposes the next show theme. Right. Sometimes, I mean, they usually arise pretty naturally. Like I said, we do a yearly show at the Jewel Box. Um, For instance, the most recent show we just did was at, um, it was at Main College of Art in this gallery where there's an office called Artists at Work, which Mm -hmm. essentially is a resource for students to be able to um, get help, you know, resume writing, et cetera. So I went there for, um, help in grant writing. Yeah. And I started talking with Jessica Tomlinson who runs that space. And we started talking about the metals collective and having a space and doing a retail show with work from members. So essentially that kind of just, it came naturally. Um, but we had that meeting this past winter and the show was June and July. So we, we were planning, yeah, wow. we were planning very far ahead. Um, right now we're already planning shows for 2018. We're looking about a year ahead with um, at least some of our things in the works right now. I think that for me is when I first got into the like being an active part of the bigger contemporary jewelry community. Yeah. Um, and especially things like snag, like going to a conference and people have exhibitions tied to it and yeah. just realizing how far out it's crazy. that is planned. Cause I think the first time I went, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like how do you even get into an exhibition and realizing it, that proposals are a year out yeah. to be able to be at the next snag. And not only that, you're proposing something that you've already thought through and you typically have to have images of work. I'm not really sure I've right. done this, but um, so you're talking like a year, a year and a half out sometimes. Definitely. Or even more. Yeah. Which blows my mind. Definitely. Um, right now we're looking at, like I said, the show of charms, which will be at a local blues and jazz lounge. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So we're going to get an awesome band to play some salsa music and, um, I wish I was going to be here uh, for that (laughs) and have this show of charms for Valentine's day, which will be cool. Um, we're also talking to, so Maria Wolf, the president organically met this woman, Gina Colombato, who runs our local chapter of the death cafe, which is an, is a national, maybe international organization. Um, and they meet regularly to discuss topics around death in a way. So you guys are kind of like 
kissing yeah. cousins like Meadows Collective. <laughs> exactly. <and laughs> so they they meet to discuss topics around death in a way that like destigmatizes it, whether it's about like burial and grief and things like that. So I, um, given my history and my work, was immediately intrigued by this. So we met with her and we're, we're talking, you know, far into 2018, but having a show. And right now it's like very beginning planning stages. We don't know what we're making. We don't have any date set or a venue, but it's just like, it's the very early planning stages. So yeah. that's what that looks like as opposed to our show at the, the lounge I mentioned, which is called Blue. Mm-hmm. So we have set our dates, our deadlines. Um, that is much more concrete. Yeah. And that'll be in February. So that's how far we're planning for that. Wow. Yeah. Um, thinking about you guys as a collective, you do not have a physical space True. where you're all together. Yes. Is that looking forward? Because it seems like you're gaining momentum, mm-hmm, right? Like definitely. You, each year you have more shows you're planning. Um, you're getting more in tune to being organized and et cetera. Um, what do you want for the future? Like, is there an idea of maybe someday having a physical space together? Yeah, we've actually done a lot of work and research into that and um, have looked at spaces. Do tell. Yes. So we looked into that. Um, we, one of the big challenges going back to our origin, um, exiting college, you have these like amazing facilities that someone else maintains. Yeah. And then you suddenly are like on your own to figure it out. So for me personally, I have been a periodical continuing studies teacher at Maine College of Art and I worked for a fine jeweler. So I've had like here and there access to studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely am no stranger to the illegitimate studio apartment setup. Yeah, <laughs> with a torch. Haven't which we all? Is not something that I am advocating. But sorry, landlord, don't do it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it didn't make me happy or comfortable. So for me, buying the house was like a big part of that. Um, but that's a challenge that we faced, and something that we're acknowledging. Um, so you know, shared equipment is beneficial. Shared yeah. studios and facilities are beneficial. So you don't have to do it on your own. Yeah. Um, so we've looked at a space. Um, funding is an issue, obviously. It just um, we wanted to educate ourselves about local fire codes, um, mm-hmm. zoning issues, things like that. I mean, we're Ugh, things hammering. that I don't even know anything about. Yeah. Like, how do you even find out information like that? Just Google? Well, we went to um, the city. We went to town hall and we met with someone who works in commerce there. And she set us up with a meeting with the fire department where we asked all of the questions about what? zoning and that is fire so cool. codes. Yeah. <laughs> they were very, very accommodating. And I was very surprised to find out that actually it's a lot more lenient than I had imagined. And that a lot of the, um, reasons that it's not allowed in certain studios that already exist, like communal, you know, for rent studios in mm-hmm. Portland is mostly just the choice of landlords who are very nervous about that equipment yeah. and, um, you know, studios that have to deal with like insurance and things like that. And that is like a big turnoff for them if you have a torch. Yeah. So that's a challenge. So that was a big incentive in looking for a space. Um, 
ultimately moving forward we are looking at a different space than originally planned so you like do you did you guys contact a realtor or were you just looking up places that were for sale or for rent and good going question to them? there was a woman um in city hall that we met from the commerce office and she's the one that showed us the space oh, and can i stop can anybody oh, yeah. could just walk into their city hall and yeah do this yeah the woman that helped us i think it was nell hannig or but she um literally just took us right over to the space after our fire department meeting. Oh, interesting. And we were, you know, we're now educated on like zoning and realized that this is a feasible space for that. And we looked at it. It was very big. And one of the challenges is that when you're getting serious about stuff like this is writing a business plan, which our president has been all over. Wow. She's extremely, extremely accomplished with that. She's what been <laughs> just plugging away, meeting with lawyers and other city resources. You guys to, buying her chocolate, <laughs> wine, whatever she wants. We definitely should be. Um, but essentially, um, moving forward, you know, she's, you have to know what you're doing and have a business yeah. plan. But with every space that we look at, it completely changes the structure of the business. Um, and that's oh. the other thing is that when we look at these spaces and talk about opening a studio or a retail space or both, um, it changes into a business and not the Metals Collective. Um, if we did open the space, it would be a business run by our president. And this would be her, you know, she would be operating the space. It would be hugely beneficial for the Metals Collective. But by no means is, would this be operating any longer as a true, like, collective where all of us are, like, owning a part of it or financially entangled with it. Yeah. So, so she's willing to step up and be kind of the exactly. lead person yeah for it she's hugely passionate about um there being a space like this to advocate yeah. for our craft in maine and having a sort of homestay to be able to sell work like this that people aren't seeing and for people to be educated we'd love to host uh workshops classes other yeah. educational opportunities resources um take in repairs have a retail space a gallery front as well as a working space and back so, I mean, she would take on the mortgage, but everybody would still be exactly. involved somehow. I mean, yeah. you have your own house that you've right. already taken on. I couldn't imagine investing in a second piece of real estate. Yeah, it's definitely intimidating, um, but we're looking into ways that this could be crowdsourced possibly or, um, you know, looking into grants that are available or other ways of sourcing funding for something like this. Yeah, I find that, I mean, I'm currently... I'm currently looking for people to talk about that, about yeah. um, sourcing funding, especially grants. I, there has to be something in Maine. Yeah. Like even at the state level and then there's national level as well. Yeah. Um, where you guys could find some help, hopefully. Definitely. And I it, mean, there's the Maine Craft Association. There is the Maine Arts Commission. There are resources. It's hard because what I've learned is that grants are specifically tailored. And um, sometimes it can be difficult to apply as a quote-unquote organization as opposed to an individual. Yeah. Um, because a lot of it is based on merit, like, oh, let's see what your work looks like. How established are you? All of this stuff. And when you're applying as not an individual, but this like kind of unofficial organization, like what does yeah. that look like? It makes you sometimes not eligible for grants. And then, you know, also it's it still goes into like who is the who is the person that is like the owner? Who is the who's responsible, basically. Yeah. And you know, if not taking on trying to figure out how to get a physical space is enough. Mm -hmm. 
you, the next step maybe would be to become a nonprofit right. as an organization. And I know I'm involved with the Aeromont School of Arts and Crafts. Now it's their pentaculum, but yeah. before they kind of um, took us in as a function of theirs, there was a moment we were discussing like maybe we should be a nonprofit for this um, right. like thing that we're doing. And just barely dipping my toe in that yeah. about how to establish yourself as a nonprofit. I was like, right. oh, I don't know about this. Like, it is insane yeah. how much work goes into it. It is. And there's also like a lot of grants that are exclusively for nonprofits, et cetera. Um, but essentially what we're looking at here with rentable studio space in back and a working retail gallery space in front being the dream ideal yeah. way that this would manifest physically um, it's, it's almost like two separate businesses entirely. Yeah. So whether or not the back or part of it is a nonprofit or for-profit, et cetera, is just like finding the right structure. And all of that again, goes back to the space that you're looking at. Like, what can this space accommodate? What can we do here? You know, like mm -hmm. how much could lend itself to studios? How much could be gallery? And this changes at every square footage that we're faced with. So right now we're looking at a space that is in, I can't say specifically. <laughs> yeah, don't give, I'm but, sure like as you're in this process, like there's a lot of things you can't disclose. Yes, I get that. Definitely. Funding is one of them. A specifics of the space is another one, but generally this is a space that has a lot of history with um, Portland and makers. It's a really beautiful historic space and it would be amazing to be able to, you know, offer that up for people to rent benches like I'm it's it's amazing to think that like if I left college at this time like I could have the potential to rent a space somewhere and have a place to work um, yeah. or to have um, a gallery that does exclusively or largely jewelry that I could apply to have my work at for sale or show opportunities to, you know the opportunity to exhibit my work in town locally yeah. is like a really big thing and we're trying to create that in Portland try to create um the opportunities for ourselves where there might not be any and um I mean no gallery in Portland anymore ex exhibits exclusively jewelry contemporary jewelry or art jewelry pieces yeah a lot of shops carry sort of like simple jewelry pieces and that's something that people are used to seeing it's accessible and they understand it yeah but like they're not exposed to the kind of art jewelry pieces that a lot of us make i mean when you were speaking just now i had a moment oh there's the cat hey kitty <laughs> um where my stomach kind of turned because i was like oh like I got my start at a place really similar. It's a nonprofit. It's yeah. called the Pratt Fine Arts Center in Seattle, Washington. Look them up. If you're in the area, go there. Cat is on the table. <laughs> oh, you're going to just walking over my mic cords. Okay. Um, <laughs> the cat went down. All right. Um, but I had a moment just now. It's like that place changed my life. Like I'm here with you now talking about yes. contemporary jewelry if I wouldn't have the opportunity to go somewhere to take a night class and rent bench space yes like you could be doing something really amazing yeah. for Portland right and there's a need there's definitely a need I mean like I said a lot of spaces so a lot of us work from home and in our individual studios a lot of us work in um kind of group studios where they might be among painters or printmakers, et cetera, ceramicists. Um, 
But I think the most unwelcome group so far is definitely metalsmiths and jewelers. We need ventilation. We need um, access to water. We need, uh, you know, we need to be able to have a torch. Yeah. And I think that that's um, intimidating and unwelcome by a lot of spaces. So trying to create a way for that to be possible for people in this community and not having to leave it. I just, yeah. I mean, I applaud you guys because what seems to me started out as a way to kind of keep yourselves accountable. You're you're building something and creating something that's far larger than any of you singly, right? Absolutely. Um, and I find that really exciting. Um, yeah. I wish you guys all the best. Thank you. I really hope that the space <laughs> works out. And I'll be, I definitely will be keeping in touch with you. And please let me know what happens because I would love to share that with everybody. Definitely. Um, so wrapping up, getting towards the end here, um, I wanted to ask you, what has the Metals Collective done for you personally? Like, what do you think the greatest thing you've gotten out of being a part of this organization is? That's an amazing question. Um, I'm super passionate about what we're doing, just our mission and trying to make our work um, visible and accessible to the public. But Mm -hmm. also for me personally, I mean, this has really lit a fire under me about getting Mm -hmm. my professional development you know, aspects under control, like making sure I have a resume and an artist statement and a website and business cards. Yeah. Um, and I just have all of these amazing go-to mentors. So like Maria Wolf, our president, she has been a professional in the jewelry field for 15 years and a maker for over 20. Oh, wow. So like I just have all of, you know, these built-in amazing mentors and go-to people. I'm I have feedback. I can show her something I'm working on and say, what do you think about this? Um, We are creating our own opportunities. I'm building my resume by each and every exhibition that we put on. Yeah. Um, And I think most importantly, you know, I'm, I'm making work. It's giving me a deadline and it's giving me an incentive. Um, That's been some of the biggest stuff for me. And we didn't really touch on this, but real quick, um, the demographic. Yeah. It's not everybody your age. This is not at all. Wow. Okay. Some of our newest members just recently graduated from college um, or went elsewhere. Like one person just graduated from Maine College of Arts. Someone else went to Pratt and moved back to Maine. And um, some of our, like, like I said, Maria, like she has been in the field for 20 years. So she's probably like what, in her late 30s? I don't even, I'm not even sure. I think 40s. Almost 40. Oh. I don't know. Yeah, what's the, how old is the oldest member, do you think? Oh, that's a good question. Like what's the age range? I mean, I guess that, go, like, let's see. Some of the people that are maybe not actively participating in each show, but yeah. are, like, you know, in touch with what we're doing and on Facebook, I would say, like, in their 50s or 60s, maybe. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. For some reason, I just pictured you guys, like, a bunch of college a little students. Young kids. Yeah. Like, sitting around being like, we're going to exhibit work. We um, have, like, this huge range of, like, experience levels, but also just, like, I mean, some people are doing production lines. Some people are, um, you know doing gallery shows. Some people are working for a fine jeweler, et cetera. We have like a really wide range of not just like experience, but what they're doing specifically is so different. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That just made, I mean, that (laughs) endeared you all to me even more. I love how um, diverse that is. So this is the point where I want to give you the chance to plug things. Oh, yeah. So Shelby Goldsmith. Yes. uh, How can people find you and see your work? So I have my own website, which is Mm -hmm. shelbygoldsmith.com. 
Uh, the Metals Collective is just metalscollective.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook. And that's all just Metals Collective? Yeah, I think our Instagram okay. is The Metals Collective. Okay, I'm going to put this all in the description of the podcast Sweet. as well. Yeah, if you if you keep in touch with us on there, you can see any upcoming shows if you're local. Um, if you're not local, we are slowly working on getting all of that stuff Um archived on our website Mm -hmm. so you can see it there um we're pretty active on instagram posting what we're working on and just some member work as well as um on facebook um uh also i mean you can stay tuned we definitely if the space moving forward something that is financially feasible we are definitely going to be doing a crowdsourcing campaign so that would be awesome to have some support (laughs) yeah keep me posted i would love to be able to share that and help you guys in any way i can Sweet. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on Perceived Value today. (laughs) Um, It's pretty exciting to realize we've been friends for five years now, even though we've never lived in the same place. I know. It's true. Um, It's just kind of funny how that goes with the metals community. All my best friends are in all different corners of the world, it seems (laughs) like. All right. Well, thank you for everyone for listening. This has been another episode of Perceived Value. Keep up the hustle. Perceived Value is a bi-weekly podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. Music by the Seattle group Song Sparrow Research. You can learn more and find all our previous episodes at perceivedvaluepodcast.com.